Thank you, choir, for songs of praise that focus the mind and help us to keep the major things major. There's nothing wrong with remembering how the Lord may have got you through a certain situation and maybe how he made a way out of no way and how he helped you meet a need that you had at some point. But if you didn't have that as a testimony, we come to this one thing, that he is the precious lamb that was slain. And there is a danger of us defining our praise and our worship of Christ by the most recent thing that he has done for us. And we fall into the trap of forgetting the greatest thing that he's done for us, which is dying on the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, solid word, I am <clears throat> excited to be here with you this morning and uh, and grateful and thankful to Pastor Costin for allowing me to have this opportunity to share as we are moving through the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, uh, and look, I, I do have to share in, in full disclosure, uh, I, I, uh, my hat goes off to uh, Brother Mike Newton, who has several times been, been uh, up to preach and has talked about being sick, getting ready to preach. And I've never experienced that until this time. And I uh, woke up uh, this week with 102 fever and did not feel like opening not a book, right, uh, to try to prepare or do anything. And, uh, and it just really was like, I was like, Lord, uh, you have to do something here because I don't feel like doing anything. <laughs> but God is faithful, and, and, uh, and, and uh, here I stand before you, not in my own strength and his strength, but I uh, do have some uh, leftover uh, congestion there, so bear with me as we move through this as well. Uh, and then uh, I do, uh, uh, as always, acknowledge my, my wife and my family. My uh, wife and youngest daughter are actually traveling today, and so pray that God would bring them home safely today. And so it's just been me and my oldest daughter, Jayla, kicking it for the past couple of days. That's right. We've been kicking it. That's right. We've been eating all kinds of things. It's got high fructose corn syrup in it and... <laughs> You know, <clears throat> red dye number two, whatever the dye you ain't supposed to eat, we've been eating it, right? We've been, we've been getting it in and, and just enjoying and fellowshipping with one another. Uh, and, um, and so it's been good. It's, it's good. I, I told uh, my girls, and, and I think if you've got kids, you can understand this, is that um, we, we, all, we love our children, right? But as they get older, we find that we are liking the people they are becoming. Uh, and, uh, and that's a blessing to God. That has nothing to do with us as much as it is about him molding and shaping them. And so we are grateful to God to how he is moving in their lives. Not perfect, but how he is moving in their lives. Amen. So for a few brief moments this morning, we are going to be um, picking up in the book of Matthew. Uh, and uh, fifth chapter, verses five through eight. And um, it should be in your bulletin. If not, you can turn to it in your um, Bible or on your device. And if you would, if you're able to, if you would please stand so that we may. 
I'll be reading from the ESV, so if you, if you have that version, then you can read along with me. If not, um, you can follow along. Again, Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 5 through 8, uh, and there you'll find these words, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> and let's just, uh, before we get too deep into this, let's just quickly go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, now we come to really the crux of the matter. We come to the most important part of the service, and that is to hear from you. We ask, God, that you would breathe afresh and anew on Scripture that is familiar, that we might see it again for the first time. We ask that you would shine the light of the truth of the Holy Spirit on this Scripture and that it would in turn shine a light on us so that if we find that there is anything deficient in us, we may repent, ask for forgiveness, and realign ourselves with your word. God, be with me as I share what you have given to me in private. God, as I have said oftentimes before, I don't need your help in preaching this. I need you to preach this, God. Sit me down. Use me as your vessel, pour me out, and then do through your word what only you can do, and that is make sure that it does not return to you void, but it accomplishes all that you sent it forth to accomplish. And we will be careful, not because it's cliche, not because it's tradition, not because it's what you're just supposed to say, but we will be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory because you are God. And you are worthy of the praise. You are worthy of the devotion. So we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> uh, the lesson aim, right, is, is that as, as Christians, right, we would examine ourselves to determine if we fit the description that Jesus gives of those who are citizens of the kingdom, right? And look to the Holy Spirit to change us where we are deficient. And this is interesting. As I was uh, getting ready for this, and, and I won't spend a whole lot of time here, but I, I, I had to chuckle to myself because, uh, like several of you in the audience here, I pledged a Greek organization in college, and, and it was always a fun game for me when people asked if I was Greek, and I would say yes, and then they say, well, which one? And I'd say, guess. <laughs> because they would size up my characteristics, my demeanor, my personality, and they would put me in every fraternity other than the one I actually pledged. And then when I told them which one it was, they were, what? <laughs> you pledged that one, right? That's what they would say. Your characteristics, your, your, it doesn't fit. What we think about that organization, yeah, I see, yeah. Quentin, is, he's nodding. He's my fraternity brother. Doesn't fit with what we see in your characteristics, in your demeanor, in your disposition. Hmm. And I believe, just as a light way of introduction, that Jesus is, is wanting 
those that are kingdom citizens to avoid that same shock and awe. When we tell people that we are citizens of the kingdom, he does not want others to say, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because he doesn't, he doesn't want there to be a disconnect between what people understand the kingdom to be and then what they see in those who are saying that they are citizens of the kingdom. Now, just by way of reminder, Jesus, having successfully resisted the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights in the wilderness, he heads into Galilee, right? And he starts his ministry here on earth with a very simple message. I was actually struck, Pastor Schultz, when I saw this. He didn't have three points in the close. It's just simply, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Between Jesus' teaching and his preaching and his healing of diseases, word of him is spreading, right? And as such, people are coming to see him, they're coming to hear him, and, uh, and they're coming to be healed by him as well. Chapter 5, where we find ourselves today, begins with Jesus taking notice of the crowds. He then goes up onto the mountain, and his disciples begin drawing near to him. And then he begins to expound upon the nature and the characteristics of those who will inhabit this kingdom that he's been preaching about being at hand. Now, uh, let me do a, a shameless plug here because uh, we're talking about kingdom citizenship and about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Here in May, I believe it's in May, uh, Solid Word is going to be the site for an ITS class on the kingdom of God. Uh, you would do well to avail yourself of that because it will be an exciting time of some good scholarly and spiritual um, diving into what the word says about the kingdom of God and about the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Now let's uh, return to our regularly scheduled program here. <laughs> so let's walk through this like we've been doing, and we're going to look at uh, verses uh, 5, verses 6, verse 7, and verse 8, and understand a little bit better some of these characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom. So in verse 5, what do we see here? We see, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, being meek gets a bad rap today. <laughs> if someone were to say to you, uh, Johaz, you meek. Look, I can see it on your face. You, yeah, it, it, it does something to you, right? If somebody were to say that you were meek, especially for brothers and for men, uh, we would be trying to argue, no, I, I ain't meek. Uh, let me show you how unmeek I am. I'm going to tackle a tree or do something. I'm, I'm, a, I'm tough, right? I, I, I'm not meek, right? And we would be trying our best to shed that label. <laughs> but we can't let our contemporary filters cause us to misunderstand what exactly is being conveyed here. So the word that's being used here for meek really carries with it the idea of someone, listen at this now, with a mild disposition. Hmm. Disposition means basically your temperament, right? Your nature. But the word here also carries with it a little bit more than just having a mild disposition. It also implies a gentleness of spirit which then goes to the core of who I am. And this is important because uh, if you think about it, right, I can fake a disposition. Some of us fake it 
from 10.30 to whenever I get done, right? I can fake a disposition, right? I, I, I can clean up kind of nice. I can hold my tongue for a while. I can uh, not respond how I may want to respond in certain situations, um, but I can only do it for a while, right? Until someone upsets the apple cart or until it just goes on too long and I just can't take it anymore. So this idea of meekness is both about how I show up, which is the mild disposition, <clears throat> excuse me, but it is also about who I am, gentleness of spirit. Am I abrasive? Am I hard? Am I difficult to talk to? How do I react when I'm under pressure, when I've been wronged? <laughs> do I lash out? Do I retaliate? And the bottom line of meekness is not timidity. It's not weakness, but it's actually control. power under control. Now, some of you may be stuck, though. You're thinking, I can't get past meek, though. That word just sounds soft. It, 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 it rhymes with weak. <laughs> I'm, just, can I, I'm just in your head. I'm talking, y'all. I can see thought bubbles. You don't know that, but when you preach, you can see thought bubbles. Isn't that right, Pastor? You can see thought bubbles. The Lord just gives that to you, and you can see what people are thinking. But if you're thinking that this is still about weakness, let me point you somewhere else. If you turn over to Matthew, same book, chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus is actually talking here. And he describes himself using the same Greek word in this verse that he uses in chapter 5, when he says, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Now, do you think that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, huh, Colossians tells us that everything that was made was made by him and through him and for him. Do we think that he is saying that he is weak? Not at all. But what Christ is saying is, is that he displayed a control of all power, of omnipotence, <laughs> that was rooted in not just a sense of this is what I should do, but it was rooted in his belief and faith that God the Father is in control of everything. See, there's the rub. This is why we have some difficulty with being meek. Because we feel like if it is to be, it is up to me. I've got to make it happen. I've got to right the wrong. I've got to answer every slight. I've got to address every situation. But we see in the example of Jesus, one who had all power, and though they spat on him, did not utter a word. Though they beat him, was content to move through that thing. Though they lied on him, right? Bore false witness against him. He still said, nevertheless, thy will be done. 
And what we see, right, is that meekness is about controlling ourselves and understanding that God is in control of everything else. <laughs> and what is the benefit of being meek, you may ask? Charles, at the end of the day, if I control myself, if I don't lash out, if I don't respond how I may want to, if I'm not out trying to right every wrong with my own hands, what then is the benefit of having a mild disposition? What is the benefit of having a gentle spirit? Jesus makes it clear. Those are the ones who will inherit the earth. Now, at, at, at high glance, that sounds high and lofty, but think about it in more maybe more practical terms, because part of, of us struggling with, with being meek is because we feel like we have to right every wrong. We feel like we can't afford to lose anything because stuff has happened to us, because stuff is happening to us, and we have to be the ones who protect what we have. And Jesus is telling us, if you are meek, then anything you may have lost in the exercise of control Anything that you may have forfeited because you showed restraint instead of action, anything that may have been taken from you at the hands of others who had ill intent will be restored. Not just restored, Quentin, but in multiples. Because I would dare to say none of us right now actually possess the earth. So if anything has been taken from you, it's less than the earth. <laughs> but Jesus says that if you operate with a mild disposition, if you operate with gentleness of spirit, if you operate as a person in control of their passion, their emotions, and leave to God the rest, then you will find you will come out ahead. You will inherit the earth. And this brings me to my very first takeaway, and that is that kingdom citizens allow their passion, their strength, their power, their emotions, their urges to be governed by and controlled by the Holy Spirit, placing themselves completely in God's hands, not relying upon their own efforts, not relying upon their own means or their own methods to right the wrongs that they've suffered. They look to God as being in control of everything that happens to him. Now, before you think, well, wait a minute, Charles, are you saying I should just get slapped around? No, I'm not saying that. Because kingdom citizens, right, they look to God as being in control of everything, and they follow his guidance on when to act. Hmm. Because, to be clear, there are times when God says, stand up, gird up your loins, Move in a certain direction, right? They will look to him on his guidance on when to act, on what to say, on how to respond. Secure in the fact that when Christ returns, all wrongs, all injustices will be addressed. Get this. This is the part that should make us jump. It will be addressed by the righteous judge. Do you get that? That means we don't have to worry about whether or not, when it's all addressed, will God remember everything. You ever watch uh, uh, Judge Judy? 
I don't watch it. My, my family watches it. I just happen to see it sometimes. <laughs> Judge Judy is good at doing a couple of things. One is she'll cut you off quick. Quick, right? <laughs> and, and one thing I notice about Judge Judy is, is, is sometimes she doesn't care, Elder Martin, if you got a counterclaim or not. Folks will be left there, credits are rolling, talking about, Judge, what about my, my, my counterclaim? <laughs> and, that, and, you, and you know what that is? That's them saying, wait a minute, Judge, you didn't address everything. There's still some wrong that I felt like I needed to be repaid for, and you're just dismissing it. She'll say, good day, sir. <laughs> y'all know, y'all seen, y'all know how Judge Judy does. Bird is escorting them out, everything. Credits are rolling, everything. But we have the righteous judge in God. You don't have to worry about him not hearing your counterclaim, not taking into account every wrong that was done to you. This is the confidence that we have in being meek, right? We're not being meek and just skipping down the middle of the street. But we're being meek knowing that we have a righteous judge who, who, is not, who, who, who is paying close attention to every moment. In some cases, storing up wrath. It will not go unaddressed. The danger, what we have to be careful of is that if we, if, if we respond incorrectly in these moments, then what we might find ourselves is that as the righteous judge is dealing with those who have done wrong to us, he then has to deal with us because he is a righteous judge. And so Jesus says, kingdom citizens are meek. They're mild in disposition. They're gentle in spirit, trusting and relying that the righteous judge will right all wrongs. Next, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who are hungry, or who hunger instead, and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst, these are familiar words, but let's look at them a little bit deeper in the context of the scripture here. So when it says to hunger, it really means to passionately crave to seek with eager desire. When it talks about thirsting, it's talking about painfully, listen at this, painfully feeling a want or a longing for something that refreshes. Man. And in reading verse 6, I think its true meaning is lost on us because most of us have never experienced hunger and thirst like this. I, <laughs> I know some of you right now are thinking, man, my stomach is touching my back right now. Because, <laughs> you know, you, you either didn't eat breakfast this morning or you didn't eat both Pop-Tarts, you only ate one. And I mean, and so you, I know you, you feel hungry, right? Or you may feel thirsty, but many of us, thankfully, don't know hunger and thirst like this. See, if right now you were as hungry and as thirsty as Jesus is conveying in this text, then you wouldn't even be here right now. You would have already pushed on past the folks in your aisle, kicked over the little stanchion back there that's supposed to be keeping folks from coming down the middle, 
you'd have pushed on through the double doors and you'd be in the kitchen right now, eating some of anything and everything, drinking some of anything and everything. Because, right? Because you had a thirst and you had a desire that could not be satisfied. And the rest of us would be looking at you, thinking, what in the world is wrong with them? But you wouldn't care. You see where I'm going? You wouldn't care. Because all you would care about is, is you've got this hunger, you've got this thirst like you've never had before, and your one driving motivation is to satisfy that hunger and that thirst. And Jesus says that this is how kingdom citizens should feel about righteousness. We should be pushing past folks to get to righteousness, leaving folks behind to get to righteousness, not caring what others may be thinking as they watch us pursue righteousness. Because our singular focus is on obtaining righteousness. Kingdom citizens should passionately seek, eagerly desire, painfully want and long for righteousness. But you may be there thinking, but where does this hunger and thirst for righteousness come from? How do, how do, how do, I, how do I get there? Well, let me, let me walk us through something here. And for all those that are saved, this is, it should be familiar to you. But right, when, when, when I acknowledged that I was a sinner and accepted that Jesus, the Son of God, died on my behalf, right, <clears throat> so that my sins could be forgiven, I, I then uh, became justified, a legal term, which means now I have a right standing before God, right? A legal term, which means that before I was an enemy of the court of God, but now I am a friend. Now, in that moment, right, <clears throat> I have been justified. I have a legal standing now, a right standing in front of God. And then God, in turn, gives me his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now begins working inside of me. As that Holy Spirit is working inside of me, the Holy Spirit is now sanctifying me, conforming me to the image and to the likeness of Jesus Christ, so that now my life begins to better line up with the legal standing that I have of justification. So I'm justified the moment I believe in Christ and accept his sacrifice on my behalf. The Holy Spirit is imparted to me and he begins to sanctify me. But there's a problem. <laughs> because what happens is as the, as the Holy Spirit is sanctifying me, the Holy Spirit is showing me more about me than I knew about myself, and I start realizing, my goodness, I thought I just had a few things keeping me from the glory of God. But the more that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying me, the further from the God that saved me, I realize that I am. Hmm. And I find myself now <laughs> hungering thirsting, 
to be more like the God who saved me than like the person I was when he saved me. Right? Now, let me just, let me just finish this on out because it, it talks about that the, 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 uh, the person who hungers and who thirsts for righteousness will be satisfied. Wait a minute, Minister Wright. You just told me that the more the Holy Spirit sanctifies, the more you realize how far apart you are. That does not sound like being satisfied. That sounds like a perpetual state of dissatisfaction. Hmm. Right? Well, <clears throat> this brings me to my second takeaway, and I think I can put a bow on it if you just would hang with me. Kingdom citizens are characterized, listen now, they are identified by an intense longing to have every aspect of their life be acceptable to God. Now, listen, listen, listen. This is not just some general desire to do good. Or to treat everybody the way you want to be treated. But it is a deep yearning and a desire not born of the flesh. Remember, the Holy Spirit is in you working, but it's created by the Holy Spirit that will only be satisfied when glorification occurs. Glorification. Well, this is the moment. I love the way John talks about it in 1 John 3. He says that when we see him, we will be like him. Paul tells us in Corinthians that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. And this glorification, what it's referring to is, is that, look, you were justified when you accepted Christ. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying you, conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. But guess what? All the while, you're still trapped in this flesh body. You're still having to deal with the temptations that affect the flesh. Paul tells us what? That we are earthen vessels with heavenly treasure inside. So we are still struggling, wrestling. The satisfaction comes when Christ comes back. And he says, look, <laughs> you've got the Holy Spirit in you. But that Holy Spirit is working with some worn-out tools. Let me redeem the body. And now everything can work as God intended it to work to begin with. And at that moment, I'm satisfied. Because my outside matches my inside. And there's no longer a struggle. There's harmony now. And everything is moving in an accordance with the law of God. Hmm. So let's keep moving at this thing. Verse 7 now talks about, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Huh. Now this one is pretty straightforward. I don't think you need a preacher to tell you what's happening in this verse. Kingdom citizens show mercy. And receive mercy in return. So the question may be less about what does this verse mean and more about what does it look like. Mercy, mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is showing compassion and forgiveness to someone when it is within your power to punish or to harm them. 
Just think about that. Showing compassion and forgiveness to someone when it is within your power to punish or to harm them. Showing mercy, showing mercy. This is exactly what God did for us. And to be honest, what he continues to do for us. But here's something interesting actually to point out is that God's mercy currently, right now, contemporaneously, right, is being extended to both the saved and the unsaved. With one caveat. For the unsaved, God's mercy is limited in time because judgment is coming. Like we talked about, he's storing up wrath. But for the saved, God's mercy is infinite and will extend into eternity. His mercies are new every morning. (laughs) Kingdom citizens are merciful because God has been merciful to them. There are examples in the Bible that talk about God's mercy. This one that I thought was extremely interesting is in 2 Samuel 24 and 14. You don't have to turn there, but David is having to now answer for his sin, and his prophet Gad comes to him with a message from the Lord, and the Lord says, look, the Lord told me to tell you, you need to choose one of these three punishments for your sin. And what David says blew my mind. David says, look, I am in great distress. But this is what he says. But let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Not let me fall into the hands of man. Because one of the choices was to let his enemies get to him. And David said, you know what? Even though I stand accused and convicted of having sinned and then now stand underneath the punishment of God, I would rather be in the hand of God than in the hands of man because God's mercy is great. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 and 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great Mercy, I see a theme here, a pattern. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Titus 3 and 5, Paul says, look, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy (laughs) by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Unfortunately, unfortunately, in today's climate, it seems that those who have benefited the most from mercy are the ones who are so reluctant to extend it to others. I'm talking about us. Those of us who are the standing trophies of grace are so quick to utterly cast out others for having messed up. And especially if those that are in need of the mercy don't look like us. 
if they don't sound like us, if they don't come from where we come from or don't view the world like we view the world. And look, don't, don't, don't confuse extending mercy with condoning behavior. But extending mercy is merely a recognition that while there may be consequences for their behavior, we don't have to condemn them to no hope. And if you're still struggling with what mercy looks like, then just imagine yourself in the other person's shoes and ask yourself this question. How would you want to be treated if you had done what they have done? And this brings me to my third takeaway, and that is that kingdom citizens have an accurate view of their need for mercy in light of standing before a God who is holy, who is perfect, who is righteous. And kingdom citizens have no problem in extending mercy of being compassionate and forgiving towards others who are just as fallen and fallible as we ourselves are. The bottom line is, is that if a holy, perfect, righteous God can extend mercy... Man, how much more so should we be extending mercy to one another who literally are on the same plane, in the same boat, dealing with the same things? Fourth and final is verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hmm. The pure in heart could mean that these are individuals whose hearts are free from corruption, free from what is false. Their hearts are blameless. They're not stained with the guilt of anything. But it could also mean that these are individuals whose hearts are undivided. They are sincere. They are genuine. They have an earnest devotion and commitment to God. I assert that uh, these are not mutually exclusive. I can't have one without the other. I, I can't have a heart that is devoted to God completely, but at the same time, it's tainted with corruption. Jesus is being very specific and intentional, too, here when he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Notice that he doesn't say, blessed are the pure in practice. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in language. Blessed are the pure in ceremonies. Blessed are the pure in traditions or the pure in actions. Instead, he deals with the source, the heart. <laughs> so the question, the text begs the question, what or who is your heart devoted to? What or who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Is it you? Is it your spouse? Is it your children, your career, your money, your health? Let me push this even a little bit further. Uh, and I'm not trying to, uh, to offend, but I am just trying to push and paint this picture. What are your motives for wanting to even get into the kingdom? Is it because there's no sickness there? And you're hurting in your body? 
Is it because there's no strife there, no stress there, and here you're anxious and, and ate up with the pressures of the world? Is it because there's only peace and pure love there and you've experienced nothing but hurt and hate in your life? Or even is it because you want to see a loved one that has gone on to be with the Lord? You want to see mama again, daddy again. Hmm. And I get it. I know that those can be motivating factors. But let me, let me, let me try to paint this picture as clearly as possible. <clears throat> Your heart is divided if it's not set on pure devotion to God. For kingdom citizens with pure hearts, seeing God is the ultimate reward and the ultimate end. Now, don't get me wrong. Those other things are parts of it. No sickness, no death, being able to see loved ones who are with the Lord. I'm not saying those are bad things. But what I'm saying is, is that if your heart is set on just seeing mama again, then you are going to be disappointed when God is at the center of everything that's happening in the new Jerusalem. You, you may be even more disappointed when mama doesn't want anything to do with you because Jesus is here. Kingdom citizens, and this is my fourth and final takeaway, kingdom citizens' hearts are set on one thing, seeing God. See if you can get this in your mind. Being able to stand in the presence of the great I am, the covenant-keeping God, the everlasting Father, the Alpha and the Omega, to be able to stand in the presence of the one who was and is and is to come and not be consumed, not be ashamed, but to be able to bask in the Shekinah glory of he who knew you before the foundation of the world was established, to stand boldly and cry out, Abba, Father. Kingdom citizens, hearts are pure with a devotion on seeing God. Hmm. And so in closing, I, I like the picture that Pastor painted last Sunday, if you remember, of Jesus teaching his disciples, right? Uh, because... Um, it put some tension in the text. Let's think about it, right? Jesus is up on the mountain. He's, he's teaching his disciples, those who have made a decision to follow him uh, about kingdom citizenship. But there's also those around who may still be on the fence, who maybe haven't made a decision to follow him yet. Those who maybe are just curious, who, who are able to still hear him as he's talking to his disciples about kingdom citizenship. And describing uh, to them what it means and what it looks like to be in God's kingdom. And the reason I like this picture, right, is because uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching and explaining the nature and characteristics of citizens of God's kingdom. 
and it's comprehensive. He touches the internal. He touches the vertical, how they relate to God. He touches the horizontal, how they relate to each other, right? And he's laying this out, and something similar should be happening in the minds of both his disciples and his (laughs) non-disciples. And that thing should be not only am I not those things, but I'm not those things consistently, reliably, faithfully. I can't do those things, Jesus. I can't be meek. I can't control my disposition when someone pushes my buttons. Oh, then they get what they're going to get. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness, I, I can't even do my daily devotion with consistency, let alone passionately desiring and longing for righteousness. And you can forget showing mercy. There are just some things that have been done to me or to people that I love and care about that I cannot forgive, and I can't move past. Having a pure heart, maybe when I was younger, I could be undivided in my devotion to God then, but now I've got a husband, or I've got a wife, or I've got kids, I've got a job, I've got elderly parents, and all of these things require my devotion. And you may be sitting there, just like some of those in the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount, saying to yourself, there is no hope for me getting into this kingdom. But let me encourage you. I know you're thinking, what are you doing, Minister Wright? You brought us and then you're dashing us on the rocks. But let me encourage you and point you back to the very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And what does that tell us? What did Pastor tell us last week? And this is where we're coming to our close. That is those who realize and recognize that I am not any of those things. That is the point, the starting point of kingdom citizenship, because you realize, oh my goodness, Jesus, if you're telling me that kingdom citizens exhibit all of these behaviors and I can't do any of it, I need some help. <laughs> all I'm, this is, this is, a, this is a, an everyday man's version of the gospel. You can't do it. You need someone outside of you to help you be and to do what Christ is calling for from those who inhabit the kingdom. Oh, I know we've got our degrees. I know we've got uh, a lot of of, uh, accolades and accomplishments in our lives. We figured out some tough problems, Elder Martin. We've handled some tough situations in our past. We figured out some things that had other people stumped, but we got it. But let me help you out. You can't figure this one out. You don't even know where to start. And I'm not trying to be tough and bad and angry, but I am trying to be real. And this time, if you haven't figured it out, as the old church used to say, the doors of the church are open. 
And the first call goes out hmm, to those who recognize that they are poor in spirit. Minister Wright, as you were going through that list of kingdom citizenship characteristics, I realized it's not that I didn't have some of them. I didn't have any of them. And I don't even know how to start cultivating those. I tell you that you can't start cultivating them until you come to Christ. And what does that mean? That does not mean that you know the story of Jesus. That does not mean that when you went to Sunday school class, you said a little prayer and he came and lived in your heart. What it means is that you acknowledge that you are a sinner, that God has a standard that we cannot meet that standard, that we have transgressed that standard, and that we stand now as an enemy with God. And you need someone to reconcile your relationship with him. Into Jesus Christ. You recognize that his death on the cross was for you. Not just a general act in general that just happened, but that he died specifically for you. And that if you claim that death, that sacrifice on your behalf right now, like we talked about, you're justified with God. You are now in right standing with him. And then he gives you his Holy Spirit and you begin to work towards kingdom citizenship. But it starts with Christ. So if you do not know Jesus and the pardoning of your sins, if you have not accepted him, if you cannot say that you know that you know that you know that he is your savior, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then this time is for you. No judgment, no condemnation, nothing but mercy extended from God the Father to those he created. Secondly, maybe you have a relationship with Christ and you need a fellowship, you need a body of believers to connect with, to hold you accountable so that you can hold them accountable, so that you can come alongside and serve and work Solid Word would love to have you. All right, we give God praise, although none have come. Amen. 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 Amen.